What is up, family? It is Bryant, the Theological Giant, here again with another episode of the City Image Podcast. I hope everyone is persevering under the sound of my voice. City I'm so glad that I get to be with you again for another episode. We have a special treat lined up for you. Before I get into that, though, I do have one co-host with me today. And what's up, what's up? It's Varlene the Wild Thumb Barry. What's yes, good? Sir. Yes, sir. So we were able to interview uh, A.D. Thomason, and we have an interview on his new book that is out. The name of the book is Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus. So we have that interview coming up, but first, let me intro uh, A.D. Thomason. He is a speaker, poet, and award-winning filmmaker. He has spoken around the nation and in places such as Sudan, South Africa, China, and Palestine. As an adjunct professor, he teaches on human rights, decolonizing your faith, and filmmaking. He and his wife, Donkoya, live in the Atlanta area with their family. So yeah, keep it locked. After the break, uh, we're going to play the interview. You are now listening to the City Image Podcast. So what inspired you to to write the book? Yeah, so I mean, after uh, my first session, sitting in a counselor's chair after this entire Detroit story, I'm 37 at the time, a lot of traumatic things happen. I'm, I, I leave there and I'm like, yo, this insight needs to be shared. And I kind of think in uh, movies, jokes and yada, 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 that's just how my mind is. And so I go, Man, if I got if there is a sale on Jordans, I'd be like, yo, man, it's 50% off Jordans. Y'all got to go get these. You know, I would tell everybody that. And so in the same mindset, I just thought what my counselor was sharing so much that I, I thought it'd be selfish keeping it to myself. So why do you feel as though, you know, the, the name of the book is um, Permission to be Black? Like, why do you feel like Black people need permission like what is that? What does that mean? Yeah, so I I feel um, if you look at the history of just I would say uh, Africans of the diaspora in in America, it's been this we're, we've been trying to traverse and navigate who we are uh, based on I would say the majority culture, the majority white culture, and we've been navigating that. We've been navigating results. We've been navigating uh, hypocrisy in light of what's been robbed from us, right? And so I always hold two things, what I was saying, juxtaposition of each other. There's this mindset to where we know there's a majority culture that quote unquote controls certain things, but at the same time, there's this element of who we are. And we say, well, if we're gonna get this success, we may have to turn down a piece of who we are, right? Um, and we see that from the, you know, the, the quote unquote Sambos, the step and fetch it's, you know, black folks who were forced to do these menstrual sh- shows and things like that. And people will say like, well, you know, if you want to get that, you got to dance. And I'm just saying in two, 2021, we need permission to say, you know what, even if we don't get what the world says is successful, the true success is being our fullest selves. Right. And there's a lot below the surface when I, why I'm talking about, uh, that trauma, you know, 
Yeah. Um, I was uh, listening to your um, Pastor Mike interview. Um, and on it, I found interesting that you guys had gotten into a conversation about how you were in white evangelical spaces mm -hmm. for a time and then kind of had to leave those, leave that space and enter probably what you would say, probably more in a space that affirmed or kind of gave you permission to be black. Mm -hmm. um, so would you say that it's because of those, you know, that th those white evangelical spaces are, are probably not necessarily giving black people the permission to be black? Uh, how did that journey sort of Im impact impact your book um, and how were you like impacted in that process? Yeah, that's a good question. You know what? I'm, I'm going to say it directly. Then I'm explaining. No, I don't think those white evangelical spaces, uh, you know, get, I would say give, you know, black folks, Asian, you know, all ethnicities the permission to be their fullest selves, especially black folks, because subconsciously and consciously, a culture has been allowed, a culture has been hijacked um, to create a standard. So if you're going to, you know, preach, you're going to preach this way. If you're going to dress, you're going to dress this way. You know, um, sincerity looks according to their standard. Peace looks according to their standard. Mild, meekness, gentleness, it's, it's according to their standard, right? And what I say in God's kingdom you don't juxtapose somebody else's standard against your standard. You ask, okay, God, how did you make this people group? And so you may define this people group as loud, but this people group in God's eyes is just expressive. And you need to expand yourself and learn some turn up because y'all are just, you know, according to us, demure and silent. But when you control the umbrella and the narrative, you get to dictate what it means to be righteous, what it means, in a sense, what it means to be human. Right. And so all I'm arguing for is um, one people to say, like, you know, true diversity is expanding your perspective and your understanding of life and adopting what you don't know from other ethnicities. Few people can do that because they really believe the way they see life and the way they do life is right. And if we if we um, if we serve or believe in a, a God who I would say in a healthy way has fractured his expression through all these ethnicities, there's not going to be one ethnic group that contains the full expression of him. But in America, we've allowed one ethnic group to define the expression of him. And that's the problem. Yeah, that's, uh, that's so good, man. And um, as somebody who um, have been in white evangelical spaces um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the black church, but mm -hmm. I, I got saved at Howard university. And my first in oh, introducing to Christianity was in a black space. Yeah. And then, uh, I become reformed and I embraced reformed theology. And, mm -hmm. you know, I end up going to, uh, Westminster seminary. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm learning all this proper theology and, um, in, in, in many respects, uh, I adopted and I wasn't aware of the fact that I wasn't necessarily taking on just theology. I was taking on a, a, a tradition, a culture mm -hmm. of, uh, of expression. And I became what 
commonly happens to a lot of black folks when they, you know, embrace reform theology is kind of hating, you know, your own cultural expression. Mm-hmm. You kind of look at, you know, the way that people do things and you think, oh, the black church has got a bunch of bunk theology. It's it's driven by emotionalism. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and some of my favorite thinkers would criticize a black church and I would even agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now I think, uh, you know, since the advent of the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. um, which I think has really caused a schism between black Christians and white evangelical spaces and mm-hmm. seeing the way that they responded to us when we realized this was an issue, mm-hmm. it kind of woke me up and, and, and kind of made me realize there is, there's a difference. You know, mm-hmm. I, I tried to pretend for a while mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, we were all good and we were just embracing this great theology and it was just us versus the heretics that were in the black church. <laughs> but then I realized that, you know what, there are issues cultural issues that matter to me, issues of justice, things that are dare to me that, you know what, man, white evangelical spaces just, they don't have it. And then they still struggle with it. Um, Which even to that point, man, you know, because I, I don't know who's listening and I don't know who will listen, but that that's my, honestly, that's my problem with, you know, let's just say reformed or any theological thought that assumes your thought is here to save all of the 7 billion people in the world. Like philosophically, that's, that's beyond arrogant. I'm going to tell you why. Because one, if you look into the scriptures, it says we all look in the mirror dimly, right? But when the perfect comes, all things will be made clear. Nobody is the embodiment of the perfect. And so we arrogantly are just like, well, 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 if you got these five solas, right? If you got tulip, if you understand the Reformation. But I go, that's the problem. You're making Yeshua, Christ, you're boiling down his message to five points. You're boiling down an eternal God to five points. You're boiling down an eternal God to 95 theses. And I go, newsflash, that 95 theses came newsflash while the slave trade was going on so if it was such a a reformation why didn't it reform these people who were theological human trafficking and cradle snatching and women raping male castrating but yet you're you want to tell me you got right theology Uh, christ would laugh at you no 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 gas he would laugh at you and your sickness remains, right? So, and, and that's, that's my whole beat because I go, we, we think it's okay to just separate them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, i tell you one thing that, that, that is like, uh, it, it, it grates my soul. Like when I hear people say, I'll say like, yo, George Whitfield used uh, slaves to build his orphanage. I go, isn't that an oxymoron? You're using slaves to, to build your orphanage. You're using orphans to build an orphanage. Y'all not following me. So in my head, I go, <laughs> but you know what they'll say to me in return? But man, he had great theology. I go, no, he didn't. <laughs> I go, I just be looking at people. Wow, go, man. They have not, they have not met Yeshua. If you can say out of your mouth that a person can have a lifestyle like this, say points, but then they don't live it and say they had great theology. I go, nah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nah. Man, it's interesting, man. Even, um, you know, some of the language, you know, that I hear 
uh, in white evangelical spaces, um, it's like, you know, when they lament the current cultural decline, like mm-hmm. when they talk about the decline in the morals mm-hmm. that we have in our culture today, mm-hmm. and they go, man, I wish you could kind of go back to the way things were. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, man, like as a black person, you listen to that. I'm like, man, you guys don't understand. Like the it, you guys have always, the, the America has always had tremendous moral Mm -hmm. Like you know, they act like the judgment of God came upon America during the 1960s and the sexual revolution. (laughs) Like, like it's like we were good until the 60s, and then we turned away from God. And I'm just like, bro, you destroyed the the Indian American individuals Mm -hmm. here. You enslaved black people for hundreds of years. You didn't give women's rights. Mm -hmm. All these things, and now it's like. Japanese well, no, concentration camp yeah, Pearl Harbor. It's like Chinese. Oh, oh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And it, it and just in that simple statement, it shows you the myopic lens in which many white evangelicals view Christianity and mm-hmm. ethical reasoning. It's personal sins, like you know, do not lie. This, that, and the third. Mm-hmm. And even the way they apply those mm-hmm. sins is just very select. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just creates this uh, this situation in which like when, you know, I think us, you know, people who are in an oppressed culture, in an oppressed setting, and we have, you know, issues that are very apparent to us of justice, you know, you just can't see it. So, yeah. um, and and that kind of leads me to the question I was wanting to ask is, mm-hmm. is that we see from this very clearly that uh, there's been a lot of trauma mm-hmm. that has, you know, uh, um, come upon, you know, people of color, mm-hmm. um, obviously through hundreds of years of oppression in, in various forms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in your book, you you talk a lot about that, yeah. right? Um, you believe you say that that black people have not been really given the permission to process mm-hmm. racial trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to ask you what what do you mean by that? Yeah, uh, foundationally, it's what we as a people group have gone through based on our ethnicity, and and you know what's, what's interesting. Um, Malcolm X was on to this. He was one of the first people that used the term people group in reference to Africans of the diaspora. I actually think race kind of um, can dilute it in people's eyes, you know, if that, if that makes sense. Because when you say a people group, like that means you're targeting a group of people, right? And, and because, you know, we weren't seen as full people with full emotions, for a long time, right? You're talking about things that stacks up even within the DNA to where we don't get to have the freedom to say like, no, you know, if we go back to slavery, I don't want to pick cotton or I don't want to live here, you know, but you know, the, the white majority of the majority culture had the freedom to say that. I don't want to live here. I want to go there. I don't like this land. I like, I want this land, right? That whole life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. But fast forward, you see us in the present where we're kind of celebrating. I say we celebrate things that are a human right. That shows you how deep the trauma is. So I always tell people, I go, look, 
Malcolm X is right. If you put a, a knife in my back 10 inches and you pull out five inches, that's not progress. And people want to say that is, you know, I, I'm one of the dudes I go, I hear what we're talking about when we celebrate, yo, this person was the first this and the first that and the first that. But if you go back and look at the history, all of these firsts are human rights. So don't give me a war for breathing. Like, yo, he first black man to breathe out here. I go, no, that just shows you how jacked up you were that you were withholding breath from me. Right? Now, now true equality is I get the same space, right? Equity. I get the same space. I get the same salary. I get the same freedoms. I don't have to have different worries than you. I don't have to go through different mindsets. So when you talk about trauma, these are things that we hold in. These are grids that we have to have to preserve ourselves in our life. And all I'm saying is if you just look legally, legally, and then societally, you know, um, the color of law talks about how even you know, when they changed the constitution that, you know, you know, when, when we were quote unquote set free, that they violated their own amendments for a hundred years saying that, and, and then they wrote into the constitution that they wouldn't discriminate based on color and ethnicity. And they did that for a hundred years. We talk about realigning, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, <laughs> but you, you know, I go, even if you move slavery aside and you just look at the policing of black people, post-slavery still up until now we we could put the 21st century aside we just go from i I do an easy one from the 60s up into the 2000s it's like yeah and what you gonna do so when nwa writes a a, a song called after police a lot of people don't understand where that's coming from but it's saying your policing doesn't give anything about our humanity because you don't see us as human and people don't see that they don't see how problematic that is, right? That there's a people group who still aren't seen as humans. I go, we talk too much about civil rights. I know that people are like, well, it's the civil rights. I go, no, but if I don't see you as a human, I am not gonna give you any civil respect. And I and I and I'm really for sure not gonna rule in your favor in the civil court when things come your way. So that's why it's like, oh, I'm in another person got out. Of course they got out. They still don't see us as human. Of course. Of course they did. And that's what Malcolm X was saying. We need to stop talking about civil rights and go to the United Nations and say, these are hate crimes against a people group. And you need to start levying penalties against the United States for allowing these inhumane things to continue on post slavery, pre-slavery, post-slavery, even now. But rarely do you see one lift that up because we're so traumatized. We're still trying to fight for like, I would say 10 civil rights here, but we got to move it back, man. So, I mean, that's a long, that's a, that's a long answer, but that's, that's the trauma where I said like, man, as a people group, we have, we, we have two different ways we got to approach life. Yeah, um, I think that's like so good that way you said like about the whole racial traumas and just how deep it is and ingrained in our history. I guess my question following that answer is when you are become aware of all those traumas after mm-hmm. you've gone to therapy, 
Cause Lord knows I've been I've been tap dancing my whole entire life, yeah. you know. You know I, I say all the time, all my life I had to fight, you know. And, <laughs> all my life, and I, all my life. <laughs> and you know it's so interesting because like actually, no, that's a surface, no cap. She does say right? all the time. <laughs> I say it all the time, but you know, cause really on the surface my life looks great, you know. Mm. However. Those internal um, issues, those inter- that that's in that inner turmoil mm-hmm. that I have to deal with and battle with every mm-hmm. day, knowing that I'm a black woman in America mm-hmm. is real. And so in your book, you talk about how we can move on to heal and cheat mm-hmm. codes. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us a few examples of those cheat codes? And I guess after that, though, I still also want to know why <laughs> yeah. Jay-Z? Why yeah. Jay-Z? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Um, so yeah, one, one, I'd say one of the biggest ones for me as a man, um, was to admit, like having grown up in Detroit is to admit that, that things can hurt you and that ain't easy. And I'm saying admit it in a non-escalating, non-high volatile situation to say like, Hey man, that hurt. (laughs) Right. That's hard. And, 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 and that's a cheat code that allows things to keep stack. it, It keeps it from stacking up. Right. You got you got that, man. Um, you know, going back, I, I say another another one that she goes was going back and saying, you know what, mom and dad, y'all did the best y'all could with what you had. But, you know, in the black situation, you you say anything against, you know, especially your black mama. Like, <laughs> like it's just like, bro, you 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 gonna get removed from the black, by the black delegation. <laughs> You know, um, so those were, you know, my counselor helped me be able to delineate how to still esteem and say, okay, but to go forward, these are the things I would like to talk about and not like, you know, condescend upon, but saying like, hey, these are some holes that you may not know exist. Uh, Mom and dad, well, you know, dad split when I was 12, but more mom who was there and have healing on both ends to go forward. You know, um, so that you say, why Jay-Z? You know what? For me, it was more like because I battled between Jay-Z and Lauryn Hill. Obviously, I talk about Lauryn Hill a, a ton in there. Um, but I, I was I was thinking of my hip hop journey and I was like, you know what? I didn't come to I didn't come across Lauryn Hill until later in the journey you know, uh, in the sense of the miseducation of Lauryn Hill, the Fugees and things like that. But up until that time, it was mostly like Jay-Z. And Jay-Z is more of a moniker of like X-Clan, dig- Diggable Planets, Daz Effects, you know, Gangstar, Method Man, Red Man, Biggie, you know, DMX and all, all, those, all those guys, Big Daddy Kane, you know. And so it was more like trying to process my manhood in light of, uh Jesus, you know, so it was, it was, he he represented more of a, a moniker and a metaphor uh above anything. Interesting. Um I asked Jay-Z because I got saved off of um a I guess what you would say like one of those like conferences that pretty mm. much was talking about Yo, hip hop is from the devil. Yeah. Okay. The, the Craig G.S. Ministries. You know it. <laughs> you know it like you're right on key. 
Yes, that's the exodus, exodus out of Egypt. Yes, yes, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and as I further got mature in the faith, I recognized, oh, you know, this is actually telling uh, um, my story, many mm-hmm. of other people's stories. And this yes. is actually truth. This yeah. is people's lives. This is yeah. not the enemy. Yeah. And, um, I just find it very interesting that you you found Jay-Z to be part of that journey for you. Yeah. And it was yeah. positive. Yeah. Because some uh, many people I know exactly, especially in, you know, um, I would say more legalistic evangelical mm-hmm. um circles, that's a no-no. Oh, yeah, it's a no-no. You know, <laughs> um, but in t- in it, what's happening at the same time though is right like there's that deepening of trauma that's happening because mm-hmm. they're not being able to ex- you know explore and express themselves or find those ways to express themselves um that would help heal them yeah you know what's crazy about that about that um Jay-Z no no point is this may sound crazy i don't know if I would have went to counseling as soon as I did while following Christ, if it wasn't for listening to Jay-Z's 444 and his interviews, now now think about that. (laughs) Think about that. So here I'm seeing a black man talk about his misogyny, how he had to heal from that, talking about his bravado and how he had to heal from that. Right. And like, man, this ain't good. I literally, you know, how you drink it. Some you're like, okay, yeah, let me listen to this Jay-Z interview. And then he say mm-hmm. something, you're like, he like, yeah. what? Like, excuse me? What are you saying? I had to run it back. Like this man saying what now? You know, um, but I don't because you, you haven't, you, you, you didn't see a leader of that stature who was a black man admit these things below the surface. Man, you know, I think it's a it's an interesting point um, because what I've seen in uh, I think certain expressions of the community uh, of Christianity, uh, especially among Black folks, is that if you if you have Jesus, you actually don't need counseling or mm-hmm. anything like that um, because Jesus really should be able to, to heal you from it. Yeah. Um, and um, I think you know. I think the culture is moving a little bit forward and recognizing the need for mental health, but mm-hmm. that kind of is still uh, a stigma that a stigma that's still uh, out there. Um, and, and why do you, why do you feel like that is like, why do you feel like that has kind of, you know, this, this sort of uh, disposition of not necessarily confronting your trauma or talking about your trauma um, sort of religio- religiosity sort of explaining away your trauma mm-hmm. um, where, where do you feel like that originates from and it, it's become sort of a prevalent thought that kind of needs to be just you know taken down and you know yeah. kind of dealt with yeah I think historically man if you look historically uh, you know black folks specifically we, we've had to go through a lot, endure a lot, and not have the freedom to express it, but through song and dance, right? Remember, song and dance was our protest at a lot of times and our, our relief on, on Sunday, going back to the plantations, right? So when you don't have that freedom, you you had to have it somewhere. And I, and I think that is why we're so rhythmic. I think that's why we're such great writers. Um, I think that's why we're so soulful. That was our counseling session, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
so you got that side. I think from the white side, they taught this um, theology, which a lot of people adopted, that renewing your mind was just quoting scriptures, but not tangibly dealing with what happened to you. You know, physically, someone touched me. Physically, this happened, or they said this verbally. This happened. These are the images I see. And what a lot of people don't understand is that um, though God is uh, spirit, and when the spirit of the Lord there is freedom. There still is a tangible day to day humanity. Good. You That's see the good, thing? Doc. <laughs> but and here's the other thing that is that is I would say um, a short sighted understanding of uh, Christ. <laughs> and, and I talk about this. They, you know, white folks only talk about the last, really, the last week of Christ's life, and then the death, burial, and resurrection. I go, this man lived like thirty-three to thirty-six years. Come on, <laughs> like, come on, come on. I just like, but how often do you see sermons about just like, okay, so what was he doing? It's in the scriptures if you look for it, right? You know, so we we we're studying now how at twelve years old. Joseph took, you know, Yeshua Christ to temple to do his first like Passover and bar mitzvah. But then, you know, nobody answers the question, what happened to Joseph? Like you never see his name again. And historians will say that he died relatively early in Yeshua's life between that 12 to 13 year old range. Like everybody would agree on that. So I go, hold on, man, this man lost his father at 12 or 13 and so from 13 up until 33, you got 20 years where he don't have a dad. He's taking care of his little mom and his older siblings, right? That will speak to people. But when you, when you breeze over all that because you're middle class or upper middle class and you're teaching the scriptures, what are you going to get to? You're going to get to the Passion Week. Like, man, he was a suffering servant by his stripes. We were healed. And, and you have a lot of people, they just mimicking and preaching the same thing. And so you have this what I call this, this last week, uh, Christ who can't identify with your life. Right. You, you see what I'm saying? And so that's why a lot of people are just like, man, it's death, burial, resurrection and things like that. But I go, wait, 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 back, 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 back. And then it takes people who are understanding the human psyche and humanity to say like, no, he can identify, but these are the things as well that you have to understand as well and god allows us to understand those things because he he would have went through them as well like he would have went through like emotional loss he would have went through like man i don't know what to do i wish i could talk to my dad but my dad is literally dead so when we see him talking about our father who are in heaven that that would be that would have been a tough spot for him to get to though he got there but remember that that's after 20 years of processing the loss of a father you see what i'm saying so when you hear people like man you know you got a you got a father in heaven you do, but it's, it's, it's a journey to get to that reality, just like it was for Yeshua himself. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's uh, a fantastic point, man, because, you know, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Jesus becoming perfected, right? And it's interesting because, you know, your theology, you know, your theology radar goes up when you read that because, oh, my God, Christ is perfect. And he was fully God and man. And, you know, how, what does it mean? He, you know, he learned and, and yeah. got perfected. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and the author of Hebrews is making that point to go, this is why he's a perfect high priest yeah. and that he can identify with you in your troubles. Because as a human being, he, he, he learned suffering he understood that and he remained without sin yes but he suffered through it and so 
there's an experiential knowledge that has perfected him. Not that he was lacking anything, but he is perfected in that way. And, Mm -hmm. and so I think that that is a, a, a point that we don't really drive home enough because I think if we drove home that point enough, when we stand before the, or kneel before the Lord or get before the Lord, we will be a lot more honest Mm -hmm. in, in talking about, um, what we're struggling with when, 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 you know, when, when he, when the author of Hebrews writes, he was tempted in every way, like we were, but yet was without sin. He's trying to let you know, like, you don't have to hide right, your right. temptation. You don't have to hide what you're dealing with because he was like you and yeah. he was without sin. Yes. But he can identify. And I think, right. you know, when you have that picture of Christ as one who, you know, he's not this, this God who looks over you and just, you know, he's ready to strike you down because he's like, oh man, look at this disgusting human being. He, he understands your, your weakness. So, yeah. you know, and I, and, and I, that has tremendous implications, man, yeah. for, you know, not, not only our own personal relationship with, with the Lord, but I think in, in seeking to deal with our traumas, the level of honesty that we can, we can bring to that, man. So, yeah, yeah I think that's, it's perfect, man. Um, so what would you say to someone mm-hmm. or, or how can someone identify mm-hmm. the need to, you know, deal with issues of mental health? Right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I think, you know, when you have an, when something is wrong with your physical body, right. you know, there's. I think maybe people can possibly understand. I mean, you know, there's people who don't care to take care of their physical bodies at all, but you know, there's something that it, you know you get hit with a pain or something like that. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I got to deal with this. Right. But oftentimes, like mental issues mm-hmm. or emotional issues can kind of go hidden or buried, or or it's harder to kind of detect. Like, right. man, you know, I I need to have a concerted effort yeah. to work through this. Do you have any advice or? Um, how would you tell people to just properly identify, man, like things that sh- they should maybe see counseling mm-hmm. on or, you know, have some sort of concerted effort to to, to work through? Yeah. So, so some of the things I would say people can look out for is uh, where does your mind go in silence? You know, does your mind accuse yourself like, yo, I'm not, I'm not this, I'm not that or I'm wrestling with this. Uh, is your mind always racing? Can you not turn things off? Um, you know, I talk about in the, in the book, like how there is this, like this tightness in the chest, you know, some people got gut issues and they just see it's like, ah, my health is bad. And I go, nah, that's a, that's a below the surface manifestation that's happening within your body because what's here mentally is, is, is racing and is, is, is doing these things. Like, you know, I had a conversation with somebody today and they were just saying, like, man, I intellectually believe the positive things that people say about me, but it, they don't, they they aren't going below the surface into my soul. And so we, you know, we just got to talk about their story and their relationship with their their dad and the, the you know, lack of affirmation and, you know, some things that happen where it's like, man, they, they, they can get all A's, but if they got the one B, it was a lashing out, um, that they got in trouble for, <laughs> you know, and even to this day, they're still working uh, out of that, you know? So you got those things like uh, mentally, what does your mind go when, when there's silence? Um, 
I also say like, man, if you, if you black in this country, I don't care what level of success you have. If you black in this country, you dealing with some form form of internalization. If you ain't speaking to somebody, something is being held below the surface and it's going to manifest themselves. So that that's like uh, somebody trying to convince me <laughs> as a, a human that you ain't got to eat food. I was like, brother, that means you got, you know, like, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> so, and, and somebody say, okay, then, and, and it could be, you could come from a two-parent household, and I was like, that's good, you could have been provided for, you don't have to come from a broken home, you still got stuff below the surface, why, because if the cops pull up behind you, guess what, they, if you've seen anything of the hashtags of the Black Lives Matter, then, that is a below the surface issue. You have to internalize some things that other people groups don't have. If you got kids, you got to have to talk with them at seven, nine, and and you know whatever age about if the cops pull you over and this thing, that's trauma, right? It's just a lot of things we just consider it normal, and that but that's below the surface, right? And you have to continue to you know express that, right? So I would say um, recognizing the umbrella that. Uh, black folks as a people group are under and then recognizing to hold any of that in is not good for the body right and that covers us all you know so i i steadily got to continue to talk you know to get stuff out because there are there are times like even on little stuff it's like yo it's this time of day and i'm going to this neighborhood like what outfit should i wear it's like man i'm tired of having to do that but i gotta let that out you know That's good, man. That's good. Farley, you, you have something to say? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think I agree 100% with what you say, but, you know, I, I saw many excerpts like, you know, a lot of us in the Black community, you know, diaspora, Black diaspora, mm-hmm. ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time. What is talking going to do for me? <laughs> I don't have time to talk. <laughs> I got to pay these bills. I got Kiki and Ray Ray yelling back here. Yeah. Who, why do I need to talk? Talking, it, it, all talking ever did is just make me more upset. Okay. Why do I need to talk about it? And I understand, yeah. you know, the whole, yeah, if I keep, if I don't keep it in and I let it out, it should be better. But I, I that ain't never been a solution for me. Yeah. What do you say to people like that? Because I, I run into that, especially mm-hmm. in um, our communities. And I'm actually it's so I, I am surprised at how often I get those type of responses, mm-hmm. even from very educated people. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's a real thing. Yeah. You know, it's a real thing. And I understand it because I think for us, I think it's a, it's a, honestly, I think that's a form of deep trauma because is showing that I'm so in pain about this thing, unless it changes, I don't even want to mention it. <laughs> I don't even want to mention it. So I get it. But guess, guess what? You're still keeping that below the surface. And I, and I always say this, talking about it doesn't mean it's going to change them, but it does mean it gives you the peace to be able to navigate it and keep what, it's happening over here from being lodged within your soul. Right. And, and I do think that's a good thing because I go for me to talk about it and then get, get past it 
it removes me from being linked to something that may not change externally, but I still don't have it lodged within me. That's you know good. That's good. That's yeah. really, really good. Thanks, thanks. I think that um, that concept of although the circumstances may not be changed, I'm changed in the circumstances. It's a concept that I think is seems very far fetched mm-hmm. because you always see it. The circumstances seem so much stronger than you. Exactly. But, that's just not true, right? Like, that's right. just not true. Like, Jesus said, peace, like, in this world, you will have trouble, mm-hmm. but peace, I leave with you. That's good. Not, not well, that I paraphrase, but he said, uh, you know, take no. hold because I have overcome the world, but all of that, you know, um, and that's the, that's, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Like, that's what he talks about, but like you said, deep trauma doesn't even allow us to really understand those concepts. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Thanks. Yeah, that that that, that delineation, you know, um, and, and, and it's different personality types. You know, it's like you have people. It's like, yo, unless I could change all of world hunger, then what is it to feed one person? You know, because that person's hungry. <laughs> you know, like because of that. You know, and, and sometimes we're in that like that conquer imperialistic mindset. It's like if it's not done away with, then why? You know, um, but yeah, that, that, and I, again, I get it, but it's like, you got to create that delineation, but that's good. Good, man. Um, so I just have one last question I wanted to, to ask you, man, which yeah. I thought was interesting. You, you finished a book with two quotes. Uh, there is more to aspire to and be inspired by beyond focusing on what we were robbed of mm-hmm. and, God will not have the door locked if you attempt to walk into the room of mental health. Yeah. Um, so can you expand on these ideas? Yeah. So Franz Fanon, um, you know, he's a French philosopher. He was considered the French James Baldwin. He had this uh, book called Black Skin, White Mask. And he kind of lit me up just philosophically, just saying, you know, we need to stop putting our worth up against the backdrop of what white whites have robbed black folks of, and so in my head I took that and then I said and then I think we need to ask the question okay and what has God created us for right and what he created us for may supersede what whites in history in America has robbed us of but we're we're so much facing this trauma that we're saying well this was taken so to be restored means if I get that back but that's not necessarily true you know, even, even if I've taken something from you, like if I take your car, restoration is not getting your car back. Restoration may be, no, I was going to use my car to do such and such thing. Right. But if you, if you don't know why the Lord has given you this, all you're going to focus on is getting that back. Right. And so that's, 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 that's one of the things that I always talk about. And you see it pervade. I mean, you see it pervade our sermons our you know, our poetry, our music, uh, song, dance, and all those things. Right. And I'm just saying, it's like, I think we have so much more beyond that. And I'm saying that historically, if you look at, um, you know, other people groups, um, that have, that have gone through what we've gone through as far as like the minds that are extinct. Right that God has preserved us for a reason, not to just get our possessions back in equality. Now, I do believe if you're wrong, you should get that back. But I, I'm just saying, 
we have so much more bigger purpose than just possessions, right? Um, and then I, I think God wants us to be redeemed. And I'm taking that from Don. Don Fury says, I call him in the book, that God wants us to re- be redeemed in our minds. Paul, you know, the renewing of your mind that's not quoting scripture. We've just, we've seen it as that, right? Um, you know, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about Therefore, your consciences are washed clean. Therefore, you, you can approach the throne boldly with grace. And I go, when you talk about a person's conscience being clean, that means it's free from accusation. It's free from pain. It's free from anxiety. It's all these things that are free down to the neurological level. He says, I washed it clean. So if he has washed it clean and there's still accusations coming from yourself or from the enemy or from the world, then now we, we, we got to do business with him and ask, okay, what are we believing? That's good stuff, man. Um, That's boy. a word. That's a whole word. <laughs> I mean, I think it's going to go over a lot of people's heads. Probably read, get that book and read it like three, four, five times before you, you know. Thank you. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. Um, AD, man, thank you so much. I yeah, appreciate, appreciate you um, coming uh, to join us uh, to, to, to um, speak to our listeners. Once again, the book is Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus, out now. Um, yeah, thank you so much, A.D. It's a pleasure having you on, and hopefully that you will uh, join us again when you yeah, write that man. second book, or maybe hey, even before. Come on, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate y'all. Yes, thank yes. you for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. Bless y'all. All right, thank you guys for listening, man. See you next time in the City Image Podcast. City Image.